words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So the third week, the third Sunday of Advent. It's a little terrifying, not long to go to Christmas. And here we are, expectantly waiting, or if you're like me, just kind of trying to keep up. And the theme for this week is joy, which is right up the back in the back corner there, in case you were wondering where I put it this week. Joy. So what is joy? What brings us joy? What is this joy that we are waiting for? Well, first, the story. 21 years ago, nearly, uh, I was very lucky enough to go to the first conference of the International Association for the Study of Youth Ministry, held in, I think it was Mansfield College, Oxford University, in Oxford. So it was very highbrow. And... uh, The thing that stands out for me about that conference was the worship that was organised each night. And it was organised by a group called Joy. It's a group of young people, uh, teenagers and university students, who had come to faith through the work of Oxford Youth Works, which was an Anglican uh, organisation that worked amongst the young people of Oxford and brought them to faith and then created this worshipping community. Joy was held once a month, and a group of young people would meet uh, once a week leading up to that service, and they would uh, spend some time in worship, but they would also reflect on the readings for that Sunday and talk about how they might engage with those readings. Now, interestingly, although nearly all the youth workers came from the evangelical parishes, the evangelical Anglican churches didn't want a bar of joy. It was too weird for them. Uh, And so joy met in one of the Anglo-Catholic churches. And uh, so it was Anglican, met in an Anglican church, uh, but they got rid of all the pews, and uh, there were a few seats for old 21 years ago. I was an old fuddy-duddy who didn't like sitting on the ground, so... For people like me, there were seats, but lots of bean bags on carpets on the floor. Uh, they, the structure of the service pretty much stuck to the structure of our liturgy. You'd be able to see how it was all working and what was going to happen next. And the Anglo-Catholic Church, there were one requirement for them holding that service in there was that each service would have a Eucharist, and the Eucharist would be presided over by one of their priests who would be fully robed, and would use one of the authorised liturgies. What made this service different? Well, these young people came out of the rave culture. So you might remember the rave culture was where vast groups of young people would gather in fields and they would dance all night to electronic music. So the DJs were really important. So there was a DJ at the service who played music for the entire service, except for two times when he didn't play or she didn't play, And one of those was when they sang songs. And they never used songs written by anyone else. They only sang their own songs. And uh, the other time they didn't have music playing was when they wanted silence, when there was nothing. So even while the priest was praying his prayer, there was music playing. It was low. You could still hear the priest, but the music was playing. Even when instructions were given, given, music was playing. Uh, they had, it was very visual, they put up these big muslin screens uh, tied up to the uh, saints that were perched high above the church. Um, they discovered actually some of those saints weren't anchored, 
And once or twice the saints would start to fall off when they tied the screens to them. It's a little terrifying, really. You wouldn't get away with that in New Zealand with all the earthquakes we have. These big concrete saints up there in the way up high in these churches. Uh, and they had, this is pre-data projector days, so they had slide projectors. And uh, they would project images and the words for the songs and words they wanted you to think about using slides. So all the slides, pretty much, they made themselves. And they had worked out how to make these slides, how to get the words of a song onto a little slide so it would be projected onto the screen. And they would have three slide projectors working, each showing different images, different words, except during the songs. So it was just an amazing thing to be part of. And it was very interactive. There were lots of times where you would get together in groups and have to do things in groups and then um, kind of respond to what the readings were about. So why am I telling you this? Well, it kind of made me think about joy and what brought me joy in that situation. And one of the things that brought me joy was the joy of those young people. Those young people who had worked so hard to create that service. Now, it wasn't a service that they saw as a missional thing. It wasn't a thing where you ran this cool event and non-Christian young people would come and they would find out about Jesus. All that kind of stuff happened elsewhere through the work of our Oxford Youth Works. This service was for young people who had made a commitment, uh, who wanted to stay true in some way to who they were as young people, young people who lived their life shaped by the rave culture, but also um, true to the Anglican ethos as well. And so joy was a blend of this. And it was a remarkable thing. And they had real joy in what they were doing and real joy in the service. I think another thing that brought me joy in that service was seeing these young people using their gifts. One of the reasons they never used music written by anyone outside of joy was while they had young people there who could write songs. Some of those young people didn't know they could write songs until they were told, well, you could write this song for this Sunday. And then they would write it, they'd write the lyrics that worked with others to work out what the music might be, and then they would put that thing up. And it was um, just great seeing these young people being given these opportunities. Other young people had to make the slides, they had to learn how to make the slides. They had to work out what images should be on the slides. Um, other young people were involved in creating the interactive things. Other young people were involved in playing the music. The really interesting thing was, you may or may not remember Nirvana and the grunge music. And it was very grungy, the music they played. It wasn't very ravey at all. It was um, very rocky and grungy. Um, and it was complete contrast to the DJ music. And then there were the young people involved as DJs. And the young people organised and ran all of this. The, the mentors that worked with them sat alongside them, they asked them questions, they gave them some training about how liturgy worked and what the flow of the service was. But the service was these young people. The thing I liked about it was the imagery of it. Um, I'm a visual person and to be in a place which had three big screens showing images was amazing. And it kind of uh, what really surprised me was you'd be hearing a lesson and then you'd see these images that would just jolt you out of how you understood that reading. And it would give you a new perspective. 
And in fact, joy itself gave me a new perspective about what worship was. We often talk about, in terms of mission, that if we just ran some better church services, then people would come and we could evangelise them. And the Oxford Youth Work people and Joy would say, no, worship is for those who have already made a commitment and it should reflect who they are as people as well as their tradition. And if you want to do mission work, you do that somewhere else. This is for the people who have already made a commitment. And it's for you. You don't organise it for other people. They never thought about who are our audience. They always thought about who are we? What kind of things do we want to happen in the service that will speak to us? Well, some of us were quite inspired by this. Some of us weren't. There's a bishop in this country who was at that conference who hated joy, who in the end wouldn't even go. They ran the worship every night and he refused to go to the last couple. And there were others who grumbled and moaned. The Americans couldn't get their heads around it. It was just way too foreign for them. They were used to big bands and um, lots of singing and they just couldn't get their heads around this uh, really different way of doing things. But some of us were inspired by it and came back here. And um, we tried to run similar kind of things. There were already some alternative worship communities in New Zealand, so we're not going to take credit for that. But um, we, in the Anglican setting, ran a few services at uh, Anglican events. And I was intrigued. Um, so I still have slide projectors in my, in my cupboard, and I still have um, a big folder of lots of the slides that we made for those events and I kind of yearned for those days of slide projectors. And there was two ways of doing that, really. One was um, some of our slide projectors were really, really old, and uh, that you couldn't set them on to click it over automatically, so you had to manually do those. Um, so, um, so you kind of would think about the order of those slides and when they should appear in the service, and they were quite controlled. But I also had some slide projectors that were just automatic. They would kind of flick it over on a, on a regular basis. And those one I was much more low-key about. You would just work out what slides you would want. You'd put them in the carousel in a vague order, but not worrying too much about it. And then constantly in the service, you'd be sitting there, and sometimes a slide would come up and you'd go, oh, no, that didn't work. But mostly, you'd just be really surprised by a slide that would come up. And you'd go, I never would have in a million years have thought about putting that slide at this point in the service. And it just, again, shunted you out of the normal way of seeing things and it introduced you to a new way. I had a friend who was much more of a control freak than me and she would, with her young people, carefully choreograph where each slide would appear and so the timing for the three slide projectors was exactly the same and, and it was all, you know, just as it should be. And what surprised me about her was that when she ran at this at our youth event, she was often disappointed that it hadn't quite worked as she had hoped and people hadn't responded as she thought and the timing hadn't quite worked and I thought there was a lot to say for the more random way of just putting the slides in a thing and saying, where you go and we'll see what happens. So that's another thing that I learned. You can not too tightly organise things and leave some space for surprise, for joy in all that you do. Well, today's theme is joy. And if, I, if you were to choose some readings for joy on this day, I would suggest that none of you would have chosen John the Baptist thundering about repentance on the Jordan, would you? The reality is when the lectionary writers were working out what should be in our 
readings this week, they weren't really concerned about the theme of joy at all. They were much more concerned about what is the backstory that needs to be told about this Jesus who we are expectantly waiting for. And so today we join with John the Baptist and with all those people who came to see him expectantly waiting, hearing John thunder, repent. So where's the joy in that? Well, I think this reading actually does work in a similar way to those random slides working through the the slide carousel. They're not what you expect, but they kind of allow you to think about joy in a new way. So, how does this help us think about joy? Well, two comments about John and the reading we heard this morning. The first is that John lived in a world where it was really important to know who was in and who was out. Like, it was really important. And all the different groups of people spoke different languages or different dialects. They dressed differently. Um, And so you could tell pretty quickly who was in your group and who was not in your group, and you knew how to treat them. We're a little bit the same, but we just... Uh, In fact, we get a little bit uptight when people don't dress the same as us, don't we? And it's been quite amazing watching the news and listening to presidential candidates in America and reading the stuff that's coming on the internet about Muslims and how they really are, for many people, the out group. We're the in group, we dress like this, this is how we behave, this is what we believe. They're not like us, they're the out group. We should fear them. So that was the world that John lived in. And the cleaning rituals that happened at the temple, in fact, much about what happened at the temple was really to establish who was in and who was out. Now remember, Luke says that John comes from a priestly family. So he's a, he should be a priest. He should be up at the temple keeping these barriers going. That's who he is. But he's down at the Jordan. And the really interesting thing about what he does is that Everyone who comes to him, it would seem, is baptised. It didn't matter who their family was, how much honour they had, whether they were rich or poor, whether they were healthy or sick, whether they were deemed a sinner or a righteous person, they were, whether they were male or female, I keep forgetting that one, whether they were slave or free, they were all welcome to be baptised. John was an egalitarian. No one was in for him. We were all, everyone who came to him was a sinner. The priests and the Pharisees, the ones who were supposed to be the super righteous, well, they were sinners. The ones from the good families, sinners. The ones with high honour, sinners. Those who colluded with Rome, sinners. The tax collectors, sinners. Everyone was a sinner. And everyone was baptised. It kind of put a level playing field, really. No in or out. In God's kingdom, in God's world, all are welcome. Because all are sinners. There is no in group. There is no righteous group. You can't sit in a group and think, look at me. I'm quite righteous. Look at those people over there. They're not. I'm better than them. John's saying, no, we're all as bad as each other. We're all sinners. 
But come, and you can all be part of God's kingdom. Come along. And then the second thing is, they then said, well, what should we do? You know, we repent. How should we live as people who have repented? Now, we often think about that word as repentance as some kind of moral thing, don't we? But I think it, it was much more about how they saw the world. And how they saw the world was those who were in and those who were out. And those who thought they were in, the righteous, well, they could feel pretty self-important. And they could think, well, God has rewarded me with all of this stuff because the righteous group tended to be the wealthy group. And, and those people over there, well, they're not righteous, so I don't have to care about them because they're outside of God's care. So I can just be kind of self-sufficient and quite important and quite wealthy and, and feel okay about myself and not care about those people over there. That was the worldview that was at work. And those who were on the outside, well, they knew that they were on the outside. There were daily reminders of the fact that they were on the outside. And so that they knew they were on the outside, outside of God's care, outside of God's concern. And so they lived their lives in light of that. And John says, we need to repent of that attitude. There is no in or out. There's just God's people. And so how do we act when there is no in or out, when there is no righteous group, an unrighteous group? Well, when you see someone who has no coat, and a coat was pretty important in those times. I was in Jerusalem 10 years ago, where it went from about 20-something to sub-zero temperatures in one day. And I was lucky I had several coats to keep me warm. If you didn't have a coat, you could freeze to death. If you see somebody who has no coat and you have a coat, give them your second coat. You don't need two. Having one coat is enough. Give your coat to the person so that they might live through these cold times. If you have more, if you have bread and the person next to you doesn't have bread, share your bread. Because bread is what will keep them alive. If you have some bread and they have some bread, then you will both live. You're equally as important as the other. Don't think that because I'm more important I should keep the bread and that person then not have the bread. So where is joy in that? Where is joy in seeing everyone in? In sharing what we have with, with those around us because, well, they're just the same as us. Where's the joy in that? And I think the joy in that is actually letting go. The joy in that is not having to protect what is ours. In fact, realising that what is ours is not in fact ours. That what we have is a gift from God. And that we are to treat it exactly the same way that God treats it, as a gift. God generously gave what we have. We are to be as equally generous. And when we see what we have, and when we are generous as God is generous, then we discover something about God's joy. The coming of God's kingdom comes amongst us. That's a lot easier to say than to do, because that's the ethos of the Franciscans. So I've tried to live that for the last 20 years, 22 years now. So I can tell you that I might think that, but as my children will say when they tried to throw away one of my coffee machines, I'm not all that good at living it out. But it is the principle by which I do try to live it out. 
so that I might experience something of God's joy. A new way of seeing joy, maybe, or a reminder of a way of knowing joy that you've always lived. In the pew sheet this week, we have again a picture with some questions for reflection. So I invite you to think about those, that picture and those questions. It's, it's like a nativity scene. I've treated it as a nativity scene. And I've invited you to think about what the traditional ways, the traditional nativity scenes, the joy that that brings you and where the source of that joy is and what this different picture invites you to see and the joy that, that might, and you might experience with that this, this Christmas. There are better questions in the pew sheet, but you get the gist. So, this week, we think about joy and the new ways of thinking about and experiencing joy that we are invited to this Advent. <laughs>